would now like to invite Tim Geiger forward to bring us a message from the Word and lead us in the Lord's Supper. today. This morning we're going to be looking at actually two stories of healing from the gospel according to Mark chapter 5. And so if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there now. This is Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Let's give our attention to the reading and hearing of God's word. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. And he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it is perfect. We know that it 
in and of itself is without error. But Lord, I am a sinful man, and everyone here are sinful people. And so, Lord, we pray for your spirit that you would guide the thoughts of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would guide uh, the words of my mouth, that they would all be pleasing in your sight and would all point us toward you. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you were reading uh, that story along with me in a paper Bible or on a Bible on your device, you probably would have noticed when we got to the uh, story of the healing of the woman, which uh, is the the story that we're going to focus on today. It's actually a story within a story, but we're going to focus on the the healing of the, the woman who had suffered from bleeding. There was no heading. Uh, in your Bible right before that story began. There was no heading that said something like, Jesus heals the bleeding woman at the start of the paragraph. And that's because those headings aren't part of the scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're inserted uh, by the people who publish the Bible to introduce a new story or a new theme. uh, And um, uh, the reason why there is no new heading is because Mark is telling us a story within a story. These two stories can't really be undone. They interact with each other. And in a sense, they portray healing from two different kinds of illnesses, chronic illness and acute illness. There are many emotions at play in these two stories as well. Jairus' urgent plea for help, his sorrow when he learns of his daughter's death, and then in verse 42, his overwhelming amazement at seeing his daughter being raised to life. And in the story of the unnamed woman, who in the early Christian tradition was given the name Veronica, we see someone who is shrouded in shame and disgrace and who takes a step of desperation in reaching out to Jesus and then experiences fear and trembling, perhaps because her private struggle had been exposed. But Mark tells us, in verses 29 and 33, that she knew that she had been healed. So perhaps her fear and trembling was the same kind of worshipful awe that you and I experience when we are in the Lord's presence. And though this woman had been healed, she found it difficult to recount to Jesus the story surrounding uh, her healing to the people standing all around her. Let me also say that The issue of healing is something that I know can be difficult for many of you. Many people in this room have experienced different kinds of illnesses and different kinds of physical and emotional and mental suffering. And we know that healing is something that is sometimes slow to come or incomplete or sometimes doesn't seem to come at all. It's a difficult issue for me to talk about as well. Four years ago, as many of you know, I was diagnosed with two autoimmune diseases which have had a profound impact on my life. Uh, I've experienced a lot of suffering and there is no easy answer in sight. And so today we're going to look at the the difficult topic of healing uh, from two aspects. One is that Jesus heals But second, the way in which Jesus heals isn't always what we expect. So the first point, Jesus heals. 
I mentioned a moment ago that uh, about four years ago I was diagnosed with these two autoimmune diseases. Uh, one is fairly common, it's called rheumatoid arthritis. Another is a little less common, it's called chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, or CIDP for short. Not the same as CODP, which uh, is, or COPD, which is where people sometimes have difficulty breathing. CIDP is a neurological disease that attacks your autonomic nervous system. So if you're unfamiliar with what autoimmune diseases are as, as a whole, your, your immune system, which is designed to protect your body from pathogens, from, from bacteria, from viruses, from other things that would uh, be a threat to it, they turn and attack the healthy tissues inside of your body. And there's no cure for autoimmune diseases. And I had a friend uh, 35 years ago at this point who was notorious for not going to the doctor. And the reason, my apologies for those of you who might be in the medical profession, but the reason why he never went to the doctor is because he said doctors only practice medicine. <laughs> but, but it is true. I mean, we, the, the Lord has given us the ability to learn a lot about the human body and a lot about biology and a lot about how he created our bodies to function. But I, I think we've only scratched the surface. Maybe we've only scratched the, the, the very top of the surface uh, in terms of understanding how our bodies work because we, we really are very limited in terms of the things that we can heal. Most things uh, uh, are completely outside of our ability to, to heal uh, with modern medicine. And when we look back at the story of the woman who approached Jesus from behind and wanted to be healed of this disease which had ravaged her body for 12 long years, she didn't even have the benefits of modern medicine. She'd been suffering from this chronic bleeding disorder, which we assume was in some way related to her reproductive system. We don't know what her underlying condition was, but it was probably a disease that could have been treated at least uh, fairly easily today with, with the benefits of modern medicine. But as I said a moment ago, there was no modern medicine 2,000 years ago, and so this woman does all that she can. She goes to see all of the doctors that are available to her. Mark tells us that she has spent everything she had. She's given away everything in the hope of being healed, and yet... Uh, is no better. As a matter of fact, she's worse. And then, as verse 27 tells us, she hears about Jesus. After being desperate for 12 years of suffering, she goes to see him and hopes that he will be able to heal her. And let's take a moment and, and step back and imagine what this woman's life might have been like up to this point. And, and if you want to a fictionalized version of what this might have looked like, although I think it's a fairly historically accurate picture. Um, if any of you are familiar with the uh, streaming series, The Chosen, which is uh, the story of the Gospels presented through the eyes of the, the apostles, um, the, the most recent season, season three, episode five, uh, deals with uh, this woman's story and about her healing. And so 
If you want to see some of the things that she might have experienced illustrated, I invite you to watch uh, that, that episode. But her disease was more than a mere inconvenience. It, it completely disrupted her life. She had been suffering for 12 years, which was probably most of her adult life if she was still of childbearing age. The Jewish ceremonial laws laid out in Leviticus 15 explain that as long as this woman bleeds, she is ceremonially unclean. And that means that she can't worship in the temple, and she can't even have a sacrifice offered on her behalf by the priest for the forgiveness of sins, because she can't go into the temple. Anything she touches is made unclean, including whatever animal she would bring to the temple, to the outside of the temple, to be sacrificed. And so she's... Uh, in, in, a, in a ritualistic sense, she is completely separated from God's people, but also from God's mercy himself. It also means that she can't be out in public without telling people that she is unclean. Uh, some of you might, uh, from, from movies or even from scripture itself, which, which has this instruction, uh, you might remember that uh, people who had leprosy, which was any one of a number of different skin diseases uh, back in biblical times had to stay away from others and they had to shout, unclean, unclean, as a warning for other people to stay away. And this woman would have had to have done the same thing because anyone who came into her proximity, anyone who touched anything that she had touched would become unclean themselves. They would inherit the, the ritual uncleanliness of her disease. And so she has no relationships with anyone. It means she can't get married, and if she were married when she did get sick, it meant that her husband couldn't live with her, and he couldn't touch her. And if she were married, her illness would even be grounds for her husband to divorce her because he wouldn't be able to have children with her. And that would have been a reason for him to have divorced her. And so she probably would have been viewed by those around her as being under the curse of God. And that would add to her shame and to her isolation. She would be completely cut off from everything and everyone who could give her comfort. Suffice it to say that for 12 years this woman has suffered constantly. She suffered physically and emotionally and relationally and spiritually and financially. And now, when we encounter her in the story, she is at a point where she is desperate. Jesus is her last hope for physical healing. She doesn't realize he's also her best hope. But he's her only hope for restoration to God and to other people. He's her only hope for a future. And this woman is as good as dead if Jesus can't heal her. And so what does she do? Verse 27 tells us that she approached Jesus from behind in the crowd. Uh, what we're told is a large crowd, people thronging all around Jesus. And she just wanted to touch his clothing. She came up behind him because what she wanted was to be healed. She didn't want anything else. She didn't want a relationship with Jesus. She didn't want him to know who she was. She didn't want him to know what she was dealing with. She just wanted the good stuff from Jesus. She wanted to be healed. 
came up behind him because she was ashamed of her condition and she felt that she was beyond hope. And she just wanted to touch Jesus' clothing because she thought that would be the least conspicuous way in which she could get in and get out and get what she wanted. She didn't want to have to reveal her uncleanliness, her uncleanness rather, and shame to everyone around. And maybe, just maybe, she was so shunned by everyone else in the religious community that she wasn't entirely certain that Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, this healer, would want to heal her either. Have you ever felt like that in coming to Jesus? Whether it was a need for physical healing or emotional healing or spiritual healing, have you ever felt like this woman did, that that you needed Jesus and yet you just wanted to get in and get out and get what you wanted without talking to him, without being in relationship with him, without having him talk to you? Or maybe... You come to Jesus reluctantly or quietly because you really aren't certain that he wants to deal with you in the first place. Maybe you have struggled, uh, not with a, a physical ailment, but with some sort of sin pattern or unbelief or doubt that has kept you mired in hopelessness and fear that you're not a good enough Christian. Maybe you aren't sure that he wants to help you. Maybe like this woman, you feel quite beyond hope. Based on the story, how do you think Jesus sees you and your struggle? Could it be that he is more willing to help you than you're willing to hope? Well, this woman's plan paid off. The woman touched Jesus' clothing. The parallel account uh, of this uh, event in Luke chapter 8 tells us that she touched just the fringe of his garment, Uh, probably the tassel on his prayer shawl, called a zitzit. And immediately, verse 29 tells us her symptoms stopped, and she understood in her mind that she had been healed. So what we're seeing happen here isn't magic. When when you sneak up behind Jesus and touch him, it's not like you uh, rubbing a, 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 a lamp uh, in the tales of Aladdin, and the genie comes out and grants you wishes. The Holy Spirit worked through her touching Jesus. And in a moment, in an instant, the Holy Spirit made this woman aware that she had been healed. There was no doubt in her mind that some miraculous event had occurred and she knew that Jesus was the cause of it. Verses 30 through 32 are a momentary look away from the woman back at Jesus and his disciples. And... This has always been something that uh, has uh, been a wonder to me. In, in verse 30, Jesus seems to be confused as to what happened. Verse 30 says that Jesus perceived that power had gone out from him, and he immediately turns around and asks, Who touched my garments? But is he really confused? Did Jesus really not know what happened? Was he taken by surprise? I don't think he is because we never see him experience unawareness or confusion anyplace else in the Gospels. If anything, we see him demonstrate time and time again that he has an uncanny knowledge of what is going on in other people's minds and hearts. What's going on in other uh, cities, what's going on in other uh, parts of the universe. 
things to which we're blind. Jesus knew full well what was going on. And I think what's going on here is that for the benefit uh, of the woman and for all those around her, Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that power has gone out from him with his full knowledge and his full permission because he wants to use this moment to make this woman's healing complete. Yes, the woman has already been healed of the physical symptoms of her disease, but her healing is not complete. And her healing is not complete because Jesus knows that she needs to be healed of the social and the relational and the spiritual symptoms of her disease as well. And so he takes this opportunity to do that. Look at how he does it. In, in verses 30 through 32, Jesus invites the woman to come to, uh, I'm sorry, to come into the open and reveal herself as the one who had touched him. She does that, and in verse 33, we read that she told him the whole truth. The whole truth. That means the truth not only about her disease, but the truth about her uncleanness. The fact that she had sneaked through these people as an unclean woman and had made them ritually unclean. The, 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 the fact that she uh, was ashamed because of this illness that had ravaged her for 12 years. The, the truth about her hopelessness. The truth about her uh, her being banned from the spiritual community for all of these years. And this is remarkable because although Jesus is her primary audience, he's the one asking her, uh, why did you do this? She has dozens, if not hundreds, of other people listening to her testimony of what she's been through. All of these people, including Jairus, who is standing by, probably wondering why Jesus has stopped uh, in this hurried procession to his house to, to keep his daughter from dying. He's probably wondering why Jesus has taken this opportunity, when he, he could have healed this woman at any time, to stop the entire procession and pronounce healing on this woman. Everyone with an earshot now knows that this woman, whom they had been taught to avoid for 12 years, is now clean. At that she's been restored to the community of believers and to the community itself. She is no longer to be regarded as a pariah or an outcast. That's her social healing. And then in verse 34, Jesus addresses the relational and spiritual symptoms of her disease in one statement. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus calls the woman daughter, and in doing so, makes it abundantly clear that she really is part of God's family and entitled to all of the benefits of being in the covenant family of God. By implication, he also restores this woman to community with others because if she indeed is a daughter, then in the family of God's covenant people, she has mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers. She's no longer alone. She's no longer an outcast. This is her relational healing. But Jesus also says, your faith has made you well. And here Jesus commends the woman for her faith and tells her that it was not misplaced. God saw her in her suffering and rewarded her faith with the healing and restoration that she hoped for. That's her spiritual healing. There's no separation between this woman and the Lord. 
And let me stop here for a moment, friends, because we, we can walk away with a very grave misunderstanding of, of these events. We can think that, well, this woman was healed because she had enough faith. Somehow, after 12 years of, of suffering, this woman somehow mustered up enough faith to go up and take this risk in touching Jesus' garment. And Jesus rewarded her for taking that risk. On, on one hand, that, yeah, that, that is what happened. But on the other, we know from Scripture that we don't come up with faith ourselves. We know that faith is a gift of God given to us through the Holy Spirit. God wanted this woman to be healed. And so in the midst of her unbelief, in the midst of her desperation, in the midst of her discouragement after 12 years of suffering, the Holy Spirit sovereignly gave her the faith to take this risk. To believe that this Jesus about whom she had heard was not only able but willing to help her. And my friends... Please be encouraged by that, because there is not one of us who can come to the Lord with manufactured faith and say, Lord, I believe you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I know that you're good. If any of us says those things, it is because the Lord himself has given us the gift of faith to be able to believe and say those things. What the Lord gave this woman is wonderful and there is so much that we can draw from it to find hope in our own circumstances. But we should be careful in looking in the story for specific formulas that work for healing. And that brings us to the second of our two points, that Jesus doesn't always heal in the ways that we expect. So there are roughly 37 of Jesus' miracles recorded in all four of the Gospels. And about six out of ten of them are healing miracles, where Jesus healed all sorts of people from all sorts of uh, situations where they were struggling with physical diseases, with injuries, with disabilities. And so, since 60% of his recorded miracles are, are healings, we would naturally conclude that physical healing is something that's really important to Jesus. And it is. In, in a sense, healing is at the core of what Jesus came to accomplish through his life and death and resurrection. But that doesn't mean that every person of faith, every covenant child of God is healed in the same way, or that every person even experiences physical healing in this life. And I can't explain, nor would I ever attempt to explain, why that's the case, why some people are healed and others aren't. But I can tell you this, that God is always involved in the lives of his children. Whether healing happens instantaneously and completely, like the woman suffering from bleeding, or whether it takes a long time, or whether it never seems to happen, like in the life of Jairus' daughter. Jairus' daughter died. Perhaps you struggle with physical illness. Perhaps you struggle with emotional or mental illness. Or perhaps there are other kinds of profound or painful loss, uh, types of loss or suffering that you're dealing with. Perhaps you wonder to yourself why the Lord doesn't just take those things away from you or make them better. 
As I said earlier, there are no easy or simple answers. But there are four things that we can take away as we ponder God's care for us as we struggle with suffering. One is that God is intimately involved with us in the struggles that you and I face. King David tells us this in Psalm 139. He says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven uh, in the depths of the earth. And so there is nothing that we encounter that is apart from God's knowledge. There is no circumstance we encounter that ever takes him by surprise. There's no illness, no disease, no injury, no suffering that we face that ever shocks or surprises God. And if the Lord is the one who intricately weaves together every cell and bone and muscle and neuron in our bodies, he is the one who is actively in control of them every day of our lives. And while this truth may not in and of itself reveal any answers, hopefully it comforts you to know that the Lord is present with you personally as you walk through suffering. Two, God loves us with an everlasting love even while we suffer. The suffering that you and I experience is never, never a sign of God's punishment for your sin. He tells us that he is faithful and steadfast in all of our circumstances, even when we aren't. And although sometimes the sin that we commit has natural consequences, which the Lord sometimes allows us to experience, punishment, especially punishment in the form of illness or suffering is, I'm I'm sorry, um, illness is never a form of punishment that the Lord sentences us to as a result of what we've done. He is faithful, even when we aren't. Years ago, when I was in seminary, a professor of mine gave this example, this this picture of God's relationship with us. He said that we are like little children sitting on our father's knee. And, And our father holds us tight in his embrace. And whether we squirm to escape his embrace or we turn around and slap him, or we speak rudely to him, or ignore him completely. He holds us in the safety of his embrace and loves us just the same. We can't escape. He never tires of us. He never drops us from his lap or pushes us down because he grows weary of us. He is faithful and his love is constant. And while there are times, as I said a moment ago, that the suffering we experience Uh, is the natural result of our sin. God never stops loving us and he never uses illness or injury to punish us for our sin. Three, God sometimes allows illness and suffering for a reason. And the reason is to grow our faith or the faith of those around us. And I should say the reason God permits specific illness where suffering in specific people's lives is rarely knowable when the suffering is going on. We, we don't know why we go through the things that we go through. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 that we suffer in part to strengthen our own faith in God and that others would see him at work in us. He says that even in the, uh, in the midst of our suffering, quote, though our outer, outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And what Paul is is saying here is not that the, the suffering that you and I experience is inconsequential. Most of the times when you, are, or when you and I are aware that we're suffering, that suffering is painful. And it's painful in a multitude of ways. But what he is saying is that from the perspective of glory, from the perspective of what it looks like to be with the Lord in his kingdom, in, from the perspective of what it looks like to be in our uh, resurrected bodies, when we understand the Lord fully, we will see that what we experienced in, in terms of suffering was relatively light and momentary. And it was the Lord nudging us to understand his grace better or to trust him more. Or that others around us would see and experience the power of the Lord as we struggle with our suffering well. For the one who trusts in Christ, suffering is never wasted. We often see Christ break through in personal and glorious ways that we could never have imagined otherwise. And fourth, we are painfully reminded that this is not our home. This is the only home that we've known. Uh, But as you and I experience suffering personally, as we see Uh, the world that God created to bear his glory, fall into sin and brokenness and uh, into uh, just seeming chaos, we're reminded that there is something fundamentally wrong with this world in which we live. And if, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, then you know that The reason you feel that way is because ultimately you and I were not created to live in this place. You and I were created to live in God's presence. And so there is a different home for which we're being prepared. Illness sometimes ends in death, just as as it did for Jairus' daughter. But the one thing that God makes us clear Uh, makes clear, rather, to us through his word is that we were not made for this fallen world, but for everlasting union with God and his kingdom. And God describes to us in Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, what that kingdom is like. He says, God himself will be with them, meaning us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You and I walk this earth for a handful of years, and there's a lot here that God gives us to enjoy, but this life is only to prepare us for our eternal home with him. As John Newton wrote in his simple but profound hymn, Amazing Grace, talking about what it's like, or what it might be like, to be with the Lord He says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun.
So as we conclude, the title of the sermon is Healed and Healing. Those who trust in Jesus are healed because in his death on the cross, he crushed the power of sin and death over us. Just like Jairus' daughter was raised to life, you and I will be raised to life one day. And sin is the root cause of all of the suffering that you and I will ever experience. So because Jesus has destroyed the power of it over us, we are truly healed. But we're also still in the process of healing. And there are two statements in which that's, uh, two uh, senses rather, in which that statement is true. First, just like the woman whom Jesus healed in today's passage, the core healing takes place first. That the power of sin and death is destroyed, followed by the social, relational, and spiritual healing that you and I are experiencing now. And as you and I learn what it means to be engrafted into Christ and to, and to live as part of his body, the Lord works out that continuing healing throughout the course of our lives. But second, the Lord invites us to be agents of healing and restoration in the lives of others. If you and I are in Christ, then we have been saved not to a life of isolated healing, but into a community to be a light and a help to others. This is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Perhaps the Lord is inviting you to help another who is fearful to trust the Lord. Or perhaps someone who is too ashamed because of their sin and unbelief to draw near to the Lord, or perhaps someone who is so disabled by their sin that they can't make that journey on their own. In, in some way, the Lord invites all of us to be nurses, to be EMTs, to be people who don't perform healing, but people who carry others who need healing to that same throne of grace to find the same hope, the same healing, the same faith that you and I have received ourselves. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, these truths are hard for us to grapple with. We know that uh, in your mercy you do allow us to be healed sometimes of some things. But we know, Lord, even when that happens, Death is always on the horizon. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would make us not only wise to know how to receive your good gifts of healing with joy, but I pray, Lord, that you would give us endurance and patience with joy, that we would be able to be steadfast as perhaps you call us to suffer. And show us, Lord, how to be men and women of hope, as we trust in you 
and encourage others to do the same. All this we ask in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.